Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening. The opinions and statements voiced by our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this network. Enjoy the shows. You are listening to WBHM, digital broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk only on Paranormal Experience Radio. Broadcasting live, live, live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome to the Paranormal Experience Radio Show with your host, Captain Hobson. We are here to learn all we can about every type of experience within the paranormal. There will be interviews with seasoned investigators of the spiritual realm, including ufologists, cryptozoologists, psychics, Mediums, authors, and creators of technology, and others with credible knowledge to share. Together, we will find out what brought these investigators of the unknown into the field and learn what keeps them working so hard in it. I'm interested in learning how these individuals go about their work, and I believe you are too. This program is all about bringing those who are in the field together with our listeners who are interested in what they find. For us, the paranormal is all about working with and supporting each other. We're all here seeking answers to the questions that bother us so. Now, let's get those answers. And enjoy the show. Good evening. Welcome to Paranormal Experience with Kat Hobson. That's me. And I am so glad that you are here. I am very fortunate tonight. I have someone that I like a lot. I find interesting. And I think you're going to also. His name is Steve Stockton. He is a raconteur, which is Probably my very favorite thing. The spoken story is highly underrated. He is a podcaster. He is a YouTube personality. He is a great conversationalist. And as of this week, he is a number one best-selling author in his genre. He has a, a lot of really interesting books and... Strange Things in the Woods, a collection of terrifying tales. And I'm going to tell you, Steve, those are usually, you know, what people call me when I'm out wandering. But his series of books, National Park Mysteries and Disappearances, are 
amazing. A lot of y'all know that I have a poker player husband, or used to be a poker player husband, and we would spend a lot of Thanksgivings up around Cherokee in the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. Um, y'all have heard other guests who are in that area, Mary Joyce being one, talk about the odd things that happened there. And that is the first of Steve's books on that topic. Then he has National Park Mysteries and Disappearances, California, which include Yosemite, Joshua Tree, and Mount Shasta, which are freaky. You should check out the Mount Shasta information. And the number one best-selling book of its genre just released, National Park Mysteries and Disappearances, The Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And well, that's how I felt. You know, the only time I've ever really, well, with any outdoor investigation other than coming across boar when I was out, that's not something that you do without getting on top of your car. But um, I had, I was filming and something glitched. And so I looked down at my camera, and when I looked up, one of the lights had crossed the divide and was on my side at the overlook. And I was just like, I'm not comfortable with this. <laughs> I'm really not. Are you nosy? Do you, did you do something to make me look down? What is your purpose here? So, but that is probably the most unusual thing that I've experienced there. You know, the haunting, you're, you're, Ghost tales are amazing. Everything you did with that book is fantastic. The most visited national park, but there are so many haunted areas in the Smokies. Well, it's it's really surprising, and I'm going to apologize to you because people could hear me and they couldn't hear you. <laughs> and I'm not who they're here to hear. Disguise. I'm not, I'm not who they're here to listen to, but, um, so we've got that fixed. I believe I'm seeing your feed and chat saying that, yes, you are there. So okay. yay. Yeah. yeah. I'm sitting in the chat. Hi, Sherry. So I am, I'm just fascinated. Now you grew up in that area mm -hmm. and so you have been hearing these tales and, and having these We've been hearing the tales forever. How long, how old were you when you started actually following and going to check into them, Steve? Now, there we go. My audio is cutting in and out now. I'm not sure what's happening. That's okay. I've got, I can hear you. Okay. And obviously I, I could hear you, you before, hear but you no one else could. But uh, yeah, I grew up in East Tennessee, Knoxville, Oak Ridge area. But my mother's side of the family, they're from Cades Cove. When they immigrated to the U.S., that was where they landed. Really? Back in uh, the 1800s. And uh, I've been up there and, and can't remember which uh, graveyard it's in right off the top of my head, but I've found uh, relatives' graves there from, from that time, from the sometime in the 1800s. So there's a familial connection there. And, and there's just something about the Smokies. I don't know what it is that kind of... They're unusual. They've got a, a presence about them. There's, um, mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily call it dark or evil, although it can be in some places. But there's, there's something there. Any way you look at it, there's a, a feeling that I get, and I've always had that. But uh, 
the more research that I've done and the more familiarized I became with uh, the missing persons and stuff that's gone on in the Smokies, I don't solo hike anymore and just reluctant to hike or camp at all. But, you know, years ago, wandered all over the Smokies, uh, did night hiking, uh, winter hiking, um, off trail. I, you know, if I had a compass, I'd just take off and right. see where I'd end up. But uh, I think looking back, there's probably a couple of times that I had some close calls, but didn't really realize it till now. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm done with uh, going alone in the wilderness. Well, I have, by necessity, I have wandered around by myself there because if I wanted to see it, I had to. Mm-hmm. And because he was playing and he was busy and, you know, Thanksgiving weekends, you would think is always a big deal. But it's not because everything in Cherokee, the side that I stay in, closes. And if you don't get your Thanksgiving dinner before five, you're not getting it. It's mm-hmm. going to be something from the casino. And and that stays that way unless you go down to Maggie Valley or something. And half the time I'm in snow. So I'm yeah. not going to drive in that. But, um, you know, it's it's odd. I like going in the spring. I'm I'm not nearly as... I'm not timid, but I'm not as cautious, I guess, in the spring because there's more people. I have yeah. watched people try to become bear food more often <laughs> at that time of year. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's the thing, though. You hear all about, you know, stay away from the bears and watch out for the bears. And stuff, and they can't be dangerous. I mean, don't don't kid yourself. You get between a, a mother and her cubs, you're going to have trouble. But um, in researching that book, one of the most interesting facts that stuck in my head was since inception of the park in 1934, there have been exactly five uh, bear fatalities. But also in that same amount of time, there's been over 50 plane crashes. So the that most dangerous mind. thing you can do in the Smokies is fly over them in a small plane. I mean, when I was reading that section of the book, I was just sitting there going, there is no way. That is a ridiculous <laughs> number. And then I thought, well, why would he be yanking people's chain? He is so telling the truth that it was difficult to grasp. It is. And some of those, the really strange parts, were where not all the bodies were recovered. Mm-hmm. Where'd they go? I mean, yeah, there could be animal predation and things like that, but bears or uh, big cats or whatever, they don't eat everything. They don't eat the clothing. They don't eat shoes, personal belongings, things like that. And we're talking no trace of these people was At ever all. found. So that kind of points back to one of the many theories there that there are a feral cannibal, like wild people mm-hmm. that live in the park and they... You know, if they catch you, they eat you. Well, I reckon if you're out there, you're fair game. Yeah, just like, you know, and then people talk about that, going swimming or surfing and getting shark bit. It's the same thing. You're in their house. You're in their living room. That's it right. would be no different than if there was a cheeseburger walking through my living room and I ate it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there were days that I could have seen a cheeseburger walking, but probably not. (laughs) But in all honesty, you know, when you remove yourself from, you know, air quotes, civilization and go into the wild, if you're not prepared, anything can happen and all bets are off. 
Yeah. So, and that's, you know, there's no real one thing you can point at and say, this is what happened. Because like you said, there's, you know, misadventure, being unprepared, hypothermia, all those are very real threats. But then there are people that were, you know, very well seasoned hikers yes. and campers and things that disappeared as well. Um, some people claim the Bigfoot takes them. Uh, others uh, claim it's aliens. There's also, like I said, the, the feral hillbillies. There's uh, rumors of uh, ritual cult activity True. in the I've mountains. There's just so many different things. A serial killer. There was at one time they thought, uh, the FBI thought that there was at least one, if not as many as three. I think it was serial killers mm -hmm. working the Appalachian Trail. So just be careful out there is the best thing. Like, just stay aware. Let somebody know where you're going. Uh, carry a weapon. You can go armed in the national parks now. A uh, personal locator beacon or a, a global satellite device. Absolutely uh, that. That's 200 bucks you can spend because if you can set that off, they can pinpoint you within a few yards. And quickly. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was, um, I didn't know that you could be armed in the I, parks I, now. Check your local laws, but most national parks you can carry sidearm now. Well, that's the one I tend to go to, so. Yeah. Well, in Joshua Tree. I the, like the Joshua double Tree. check. I don't want to uh, give out wrong information, but that's to my understanding. Oh, Joshua Tree is another strange, strange place. Well, you know, it's, why do you think that these national parks are that, well, we've got four minutes, so you're not going to finish this answer, and it's a conversation that's going to go on, but... Why do you believe that these national parks have these these oddities and disappearances? Well, one thing, it's just the, the sheer amount of wilderness is there. I mean, there are places in the Smokies even that you can get to that, that probably hasn't been seen by a person in years and years, if ever. A uh, good example, Eric Rudolph, when he was mm -hmm. on the run. Oh, he did a great the, job of Those fighting. bombings. And, and um, he wasn't even a, a good outdoorsman, wasn't that experienced. But he was able to hide out in uh, Nantahala, which is just south mm -hmm. of the Smokies there. It's in the same chain. Uh, he hid out there for like four or five years, I think. And the way, the only way they finally caught him, he was uh, coming into some little town there in North Carolina and uh, getting uh, day-old bread out of the dumpsters. And he was not a woodsman. No, not at all. But, you know, if if you can go and hide in the woods with very little experience, imagine what you could do if you had never been out of the woods, if you're one of those feral people or wild cannibal hillbillies or whatever they are. You could choose to stay hidden, I think, and just not ever come out of the woods and be seen by anybody if you didn't want to be. Well, and not only that, if that's how you lived, if that's how you were raised, and that's, that's all you, you would knew, know. Yeah. And that's how you live. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I have been in central Tennessee mountains and lived at the top of one for a short time period. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing. It is amazing how you will be in a little town on top of a mountain, go down a road and there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. And miles and miles of it. Yes. Um, my father's originally from Middle Tennessee, Fentress County area. The family farm over there, they had 990 acres. 
that backed up to the Big South National Fork Recreation Area. And that is some real wilderness. You get back out in there, there's just, you know, you could see how you could have a mishap, you could fall, you could slip, you could get in the water, something could eat you, you can get lost, just any number of things. Well. Normal, natural things, but there's a right. lot of it has a supernatural element to it as well. We'll get into that. Absolutely. You know, I'm always amazed because I did not grow up rurally. And in fact, when I moved to that area of Tennessee, I moved there from Atlanta. Mm. And it was such a culture shock. Because, I mean, the suburbs of Atlanta were about as rural as I had gotten. (laughs) (laughs) And then you're up on top of a mountain in Tennessee and... You don't know anybody really, and you talk different, and you dress different, and you look different, and you don't so much fit in. Yeah. So There's some wild places, too, down there. You get up around Doraville, and uh, I'm trying to think of where the Lake Lanier. Have you ever been out there? I have. I actually lived in um, Newton County, near where they filmed Heat of the Night. Yeah. And that's a very rural area that just gets more so. And mm-hmm. we we had our own experiences there. And Sherry said sounds like a great good place for Bigfoot too, but and it is Absolutely. but we're going to we're gonna approach that after this break. And y'all come right back because I am already having a good time with Steve and I know y'all are too. So we'll be right back. Warning. The following message does not necessarily reflect the views of WBHMDB or its hosts, guests, listeners, or of any functioning adult in general. In fact, Frank should probably seek professional help. Listener discretion is advised. Hi there, Frank Lee here. I thought that I would spend a few moments telling you about the positivity from the network here. Uh, The overall message of para-unity and happiness and how everyone here wants to get along with everyone out there and how everything is just wonderful. Wait, Cat's not looking. (laughs) Okay, I've got something to really tell you. So I'm going to tell you what's really going on. Honestly, all that being nice and positive crap is kind of hurting my soul, as dark as it is. So, what's really happening? You see it all the time. Everybody and their brother out there has a paranormal team because they watch a couple of episodes of Ghost Hunters or some crap like that. So they go and they spend half their mortgage payment on tools and things that light up that they don't understand. And then the next logical step after buying matching black t-shirts and posing like 90s rappers for their Facebook page is to, of course, have their own podcast. Well, you know what? You're not going to find that crap here. What we have here at WBHM Digital Broadcasting is the best host, the best guest, bringing you real information. All of the hosts here on this network 
know their stuff. They are the people who have been out there doing the work, doing actual research. And no, by research, I don't mean binge-watching some kind of cheesy TV show on Netflix. I mean reading books. I mean out in the field doing the lay work. And who are they interviewing on their shows? They're bringing you the people they have learned from. They're bringing you the best in the field, covering all kinds of topics, from UFOs and aliens to Bigfoot to cryptozoology to ghosts to anything you can think of, a bit strange and unexplained. It is here, and you're going to get the best information here. So stay tuned to WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Don't go anywhere. Speaking of going somewhere, I've got to go before my mic gets cut. We'll see you there on WBHM DB. Welcome back to Paranormal Experience with Kat Hobson. I'm so glad that you are here because I am already having a good time with my guest, Steve Stockton. And we're talking about his different, um, his books, one of which is released today. And actually it's released yesterday and it's already national one in its genre. And that is his national parks and disappearances. The Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. So congratulations to you. Well, thank you. They're just uh, surprised just how quick it went. And that was actually not even supposed to be out until December the 14th. Right. And uh, I got it turned in early and publishers like, I'm going to see if we can move it up a week because it had already been up for pre-sale, which I don't mind them doing that. But then my bottom is really in the sling. Once they take the first pre-sale order, then it's on for whatever date you set or prior to apparently but uh yeah i was it went straight to number one and uh kind of helped the other two along a little bit so right now i have uh the the number one the number five and the number nine spots with the last three books so that's i'm blessed you are blessed and yeah that's quite uh um a big hairy deal I mean, it really is. Well, to me, it just says that if if I can do it, anybody can do it. I didn't know I could write. You know, I just started writing. And if you don't have anybody to tell you you can't do it, then there's no limit to what you can do. That was how the first book, um, Strange Things in the Woods, I just had stories that I'd collected since childhood. And, you know, one day I'm going to sit and write these down. And then, by golly, one day I did. And... Uh, people really took to it and enjoy those. That was actually two volumes of Strange Things in the Woods and More mm-hmm. Strange Things in the Woods. And then when I went with a traditional publisher in uh, 2020, they combined those two books into one. And then the other one, My Strange World, that's my own paranormal experiences, stuff that I've had happen to me. Right. Well, I interrupted you to go to break, but I think we were doing pretty good. I have a question, though, since you are from family who, you know, started in in Cades Cove. Now, mm-hmm. that is some place that I like to go and spend time. And for those that haven't been there, it's beautiful. There's actually like a circular drive. I, I like to walk it. Um 
and I did a lot of my rehab for my knee in Cades Cove. Yeah. But it's got just an ancient cemetery. Is there just the one that's there's, there in there's the There's more than part? one. There's some that they don't even make you aware of. Mm-hmm. They're off in the woods. You have to actually go and search for them, uh, including a... Um, Oh, they call it the Civil War Indian Graveyard. It was uh, some of the Cherokee that fought in the Civil War. And I think there's about a dozen or so graves in there. And the strange thing about that was when those braves went to fight, they took their families with them. So there's graves of the soldiers, and then just kind of scattered around, there's graves of family members that, that perished with them in the fight. You never hear anything about stuff like that. There's one little a wooden marker there in the shape of an arrowhead. And if you didn't know to look for it, you'd hike right past it. But uh, there's, there's all kinds of little spooky graveyards there all over the Smokies really. But uh, there's also places there near Cades Cove where you can camp mm-hmm. in the woods right next to uh, an old overgrown graveyard. If you're feeling particularly brave, but uh, <laughs> in, in my opinion and through my own personal experience stuff, Cades Cove and the North shore of Fontana Lake, are the two most haunted areas in the Smokies. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of activity up there. Uh, Spook lights or fairy lights or whatever you want to call them, those are prevalent. Uh, There's apparitions. There's a a lady in white that they've seen in Cades Cove. Uh, I've heard stories there of uh, people appearing in pictures that weren't there at the time the picture was taken. I've seen that. Uh, my brother had a picture. He was standing outside of one of those cabins there in Cades Cove. And I mean, literally his back was right up against it, kind of in a corner with a chimney there. And uh, in the, the picture, there's somebody standing behind him that looks like he's about seven feet tall. Uh, but it's oh it's a human, human looking person, but just a very, very tall. Now, my brother was uh, a church pastor and he believes it was some sort of angelic being or something like that. But he's like, there is no way that I would have stood there with some giant person towering over me and not have seen him. <laughs> His wife took the picture and she's like, I didn't see anybody when I took the picture. And then there's because... other places in Cades Cove that things like that happen. Anomalies, it was even film photography mm-hmm. and, of course, digital photography, even Polaroids and stuff like that. Uh, there's some buildings that just don't want to be photographed that uh, I've heard can't be photographed or not not very well. They'll come out blurred or smeared or and no no accounting for that other than perhaps some kind of supernatural activity. Well, I would vouch for that. I'm a photographer in another life, so it's a lot of fun for me. But I do know that a lot, especially with um, film, I mm-hmm. have seen things happen. But when it comes down to actual things like a, a human outline, if there is going to be a double exposure, it's going to look like you. Right. It's not going to be a seven-foot-tall man. <laughs> right. So, you know, I get tickled when people um, are always like, oh, well, that's just that's just a, a double exposure or that's just a... That's just a whatever. And I'm like, no, because it doesn't look like me. (laughs) It doesn't look like you. It doesn't work like that. These people that are suddenly experts and try to explain stuff away. Like you, I was a photographer in another life as well. Uh, When I lived in Las Vegas, I had my own photography studio out there. So I know there's there's things that I've seen that just 
can't happen, yet there they are on film. And it plays your mind. It plays people's mind, too, when I tell them that, you know, no, that's that's really not a glitch. That's not a, you know, possible error. That's that's probably your great-uncle Fred, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And that's and, always fun. And another thing that helped, you know, I grew up with people that believed in that sort of thing. You know, the, my mom's side of the family, the ones that came to Cades Cove from mm -hmm. uh, Europe, they were into the whole spiritualism movement around uh, the turn of the last century. They routinely had seances and uh, table yes. tipping or table tapping. Um, my granny was uh, my mom's mother. She was a self-proclaimed gypsy witch. And I don't know where she got the gypsy part other than maybe some of the family were from Romania Eastern Europe at some point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, today you'd call her a kitchen witch. Um, but uh, she read tea leaves, uh, coffee grounds. Uh, she practiced uh, the lost art of phrenology, which is uh, they could tell things about what was going to happen to you in the future by the bumps on your head. Yes. If, That's if you, uh, lost art. Yeah, if you look that up, you can find those old phrenology heads that almost like the palmistry stuff that told the different zones and, and what they meant and stuff. But uh, she was a pistol, and that's a lot of the stories and things I heard from her. Superstitious as the day was long. She just, she well, had a superstition that, for anything. Yeah, and just being around that, being used to that. Uh, the other thing she liked to read was animal entrails. Um they had a farm, a working farm, and a dairy. They had a dairy farm, and they grew uh, tobacco, vegetables, and they raised hogs too. They were busy, but um, every year around slaughter time, she would pick out one of the hogs that she'd call hers, and when they slaughtered that one, she would literally poke around inside of it with a stick after they butchered it, and she could tell what the the crop season and things how it was going to be the next year. And according to my uncles, um, she was uh, at least as accurate, if not more so, than the old farmer's almanac. And they absolutely lived and died by the old farmer's almanac. Absolutely. So. <laughs> That's astounding. You know, none of my... Um, I had one grandmother who was very into the New Age thing. And actually, before anyone else even knew what it was... And I had one grandmother who was very much Native American ancestry. Mm -hmm. And both of my uh, grandparents on my dad's side were, they, that's, we were both Western and Eastern Band Cherokee. But mm -hmm. um, it's really weird that she never really, you know, said anything about that. But when it was planning time, it was, you followed certain rules. Yeah. And the garden was bigger than anything in their little community because they made, they had 12, uh, when my grandmother had 12, my grandfather had 13 children in their family and they all knew, they all had a trade. Mm -hmm. So they, they all worked together. Yeah, my mom's kids. side of the family, they had 10 kids. My mom had nine, nine brothers. And they was like, well, we got all these kids. You know, we're going to be farmers, and you guys get to help. So yep. <laughs> it wasn't <laughs> that was That was free farmhands, the more kids you could have. Well, yes. And, you know, we were talking um, 
about people that were were up in this area. There were so many people that settled there, and so there's so many families, even going out to where you lived, you know, who they didn't go far, mm-hmm. you know, and. Do you know, I mean, I know about the little people and I've not experienced them that I will claim, but again, I'm there in the off season. And when I go up to the theater and, you know, other places, I am up there alone. So I try very hard to not offend anybody. Mm -hmm. And that just seems to be the best way to go. When you were sharing your various ghost stories I mean there's a whole slew of experiences and out of all of them which one of those would you say probably um, epitomized the native culture I'm, I'm looking at the legend and ghost of blowing rock which there's always a blowing rock somewhere just like there's lovers leaps just like there's yeah. you know all of the different things, but blowing rock is not like an, a blowing rock in the ocean, right? This isn't where, mm-hmm. but it's still very similar. Like a blowing rock in the ocean is when the tide's coming in, the surf's hitting, and the, the action of the tide forces the water up through the crevasses and the rocks. And yeah. that's kind of what this says. Well, blowing totally rock, North Carolina, is. just like yeah. that. It's uh, you climb up on the, the little mountain there. There's a, a big hole in the rock, and there's a, a gust of air that continually come out of it. And uh, although I've been there times where people have tried to stuff beer cans and things like that in it to block it up, so there's you know one in every crowd. But yeah, it's some kind of a geothermal thing. I've noticed that the air that comes out of there feels warmer. Then the air around, of course, it is coming from underground, mm-hmm. and underground you're going to maintain, I think it's around 50, 52 degrees year-round or something like that. So depending on the time of the year, it will feel warm coming out of there. But um, that's more of a just a, a natural occurrence, I think, more than any supernatural thing. But then there are supernatural things that take place around there. Like you said, the lover's leap. You've got those all over the Appalachians where usually yes. – um, a, a girl and a, a boy from different tribes uh, fell in love, and the, the parents, one side or the other, if not both, didn't agree for them to be together. So they uh, jumped or swam out into the lake, or there's there's all kinds of different ones of that. That's prevalent throughout the Smokies. Um, one of the more interesting ones, I think, is Judicula Rock. Did you read that chapter? Mm-hmm. Where the oh, I've read this book. <laughs> where they have this soapstone rock there with all these weird cuneiform carvings on it that nobody's been able to decipher it predates the Cherokee and the Cherokee had alleged about Judicula who was a giant with uh, 12 fingers that uh, carved that stuff in the rock but um, that one's kind of mystifying you've got a lot of stuff in that area in North Carolina too just Nearby there, Siler City, you've got the Devil's Tramping Ground. Yeah. Um, there's haunted stuff up near Asheville. Just anywhere, really, over in there. Um, there in, uh, near Gatlinburg, you've got the Vanishing Hitchhiker of Roaring Fork, 
which those vanishing hitchhiker stories, those are national and international as well. I've heard versions of that from overseas. Um, probably one of the, the most tragic ones is uh, Lydia, the, the yes. lonesome ghost of the suicide bride at the uh, Greenbrier Resort there just outside of Gatlinburg. It's kind of in East Gatlinburg. Um, it was a popular resort and hunting lodge around the turn of the last century, 1800s, 1900s, early 1900s. And um, she was supposed to be married, and she was there waiting on her um, betrothed to return, and uh, he never made it back. And she hung herself from the one of the rafters there in the stairwell. And you, you can feel something in there when you go in there. I've talked to staff and workers and things there that claim they've seen things, <clears throat> seen things move on their own. They've heard cries um, right after that happened. Uh, because she had committed suicide, they just took her out in the woods and buried her in an unmarked grave. Uh, back then, especially in Appalachia, it was uh, suicide was you know bad luck or whatever, and you couldn't bury anybody in a Christian yeah. cemetery that had taken their own life. So they just kind of put her out in the woods. Well, her ghost appeared to the caretaker at that time there at the Greenbrier several nights in a row, uh, begging him to mark her grave. And uh, he did. He knew where it was and eventually went out and, and put up just a plain marker. Well, and that touched me when I was reading that because the fact that he actually did that, he followed through on that. People mm -hmm. don't do that. I mean, very few people will actually go and do that. I thought that was cool. But uh, one thing there that, that kind of bugged me, they've got a dessert called... Uh, Lydia's chocolate suicide for two. I know. I thought that was in poor taste. <laughs> That's just that is is such poor taste. <laughs> they they do have some were. really good French onion soup, but I thought you know, of all things, no wonder you have activity here. You've you've gone and made her mad by putting that in on your menu. I mean, that's got to, especially when the suicide was like completely unnecessary. Mm -hmm. The. Uh, just... Yeah, there's different versions of that. Some say that he was uh, hunting, I think, wild boar or something mm -hmm. like that, and uh, got killed on the hunt by one of the, either the boar or a big cat or whatever got him. And then the other version of that was that he was alive and just stood her up and then was killed by an animal, which they claimed was the spirit of Lydia that went hunting for him. So depending on which version you believe, there's some, some different sides to that story. But it, it is an interesting place. And like I said, you can feel something in there. I can anyway. I'm I'm receptive to stuff like that. I'm, for a long time, I thought, you know, why is it that every house I've ever lived in was haunted to some degree? And I came to the realization a few years ago through all this research and stuff that I don't think it's the houses so much as it was me and I pick up on things like that. I would say that's true. Yeah. Because going back, even as a kid, uh, remember there was this one house we used to have to drive by a farmhouse where uh, kind of sat up on a little rise and uh, years before some kids were playing ball out in the front yard uh, the ball rolled down into the road kid ran after it got hit by a car and killed right there in the street in front of the house well when I was a kid I would always know when we drove by there if I was especially if I was sitting up looking you know I recognized the area but it just had a certain feel to it and I'd mm -hmm. be like you know I'll be glad when we pass through this little area just had to go by there one night I was uh we we're on the way to my grandmother's house 
where that house was about halfway between where she lived and where we did. And this was in the late sixties, early seventies. Nobody cared, but I was laying in the back seat reading a comic book, you know, nobody wore seatbelts back then, you right. know, or, um, one time I even, uh, when I, when we went on vacation, I slept up on that little partial shelf in the back window. That was my favorite uh, uh, place because you could watch the stars in the airplanes. Yeah, exactly. Can you imagine today if somebody tried that? Oh, my goodness. Put everybody parents, in jail. Your parents, yeah, your parents would be arrested. <laughs> <laughs> Rode in the back of pickup trucks and boats being pulled behind trucks and things like that. So, But anyway, we drove by this place. I was back there reading a comic book, and I just I felt that little tingle or whatever. And I looked up, sure enough. We were passing that house where that had happened. I didn't say a word. I'd never mentioned it to anybody anyway. Well, we get to my grandmother's about half hour or so later. And um, she had a, a sewing room. It had been a dining room at one time, but that was where she, her and my aunt would uh, cut uh, pieces of quilt all year long. And then in the wintertime, she'd sit in there and piece quilts together. Yeah. Well, she was in her sewing room and I went in there and, uh, she was always telling me this superstition or that story or some kind of ghost story or something. And that particular night, she just kind of looked at me. She said, you feel things, don't you? And I'm like, well, yeah, what do you mean? And she said, like that house tonight on the way here, that spot in the road on the way here. And I just, really, I, my mouth flew open. I was like, you know, I felt like she could read my mind or something, which I guess she was oh. because I'd never mentioned it to my parents, never mentioned it to her. But she knew that I had felt something from that spot in the road when we drove by there. I so have she, to stop she'd you. throw in a thing like that every now and then, just really. Just to keep you on your toes. Just to keep you on your toes, yeah. <laughs> well, we are a little bit late, but we got to go take this break, and we will be right back. Y'all come back, too. You are listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio. Broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, come on. I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. That'll do. Hello. I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Fate Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hops Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experienced Radio, broadcasting live out of 
Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome back to Paranormal Experience. I'm Kat Hobson, your host, with my guest Steve Stockton. And Steve, I am enjoying your your experiences, and I love that <laughs> your you. grandma called you out. <laughs> yeah, that was just one of many times. Yeah. Um, she took a special liking to me as out of all the grandkids. And she had a lot. Like I said, she had 10 kids herself. And um, all those uncles were married, some of them more than once. So there was a slew of grandkids. But um, she was present at my birth, my mom being the only girl. You know, she was right. had to take care of my mom. But uh, she was present at my birth. And uh, according to my grandmother, my mother was out of it. She didn't know anything about it. But according to my grandmother, I was born with a veil over my face. And uh, the call, they call yes. it this. Um, all that is is the afterbirth. The amniotic sac hadn't came completely away, but in my superstitious grandmother's eyes, that marked me as a special child, and I was well, the only one. Almost that was everybody like that. of that yeah. era's belief was that. Yeah, so that made me the the special grandchild, and uh, you know, she would get me alone. I, I think of all the time she'd get me in that sewing room and tell me this superstition or that story or have me repeat stuff back to her that she was trying to teach me and just she used to scare the dickens out of me she looked like a witch <laughs> she was little and hunched over probably only weighed 89 pounds or something she looked like a, a fairy tale witch well you know she was hunched over because of the quilting right yeah <laughs> my grandmother things. wound up that way too yeah and uh, she had arthritis and things in her fingers, probably yeah. from that too. So she was all gnarled up looking. On she, she looked like a witch. Yeah. But uh, oh man, because that lady cook though, she's used to feeding, you know, ten kids and all these farmhands and stuff because they had a big working dairy farm. And I go up there. She had two ovens in her kitchen. You go up there even in the summertime. She's got oh my both gosh, ovens going, so stuff in the oven, stuff on top of the oven. Um, and she's wearing a sweater, you know, it's July and it's like a hundred degrees and she didn't have any air conditioning or anything. She might have a fan on, but, um, yeah, she just, you know, all these stories and folk tales and stuff learned the hard way. Uh, don't put a hat on the bed, whatever you do. That was I, still to this day. If I see somebody put a hat on a bed, I just, you know, it just shocks me. Um, so what is supposed to happen when you put a hat on a bed? Well, according to my grandmother, you've killed somebody. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well. Um, yeah, I, I, oh, Lord, I made the mistake of putting a hat on her bed one day, and she flipped oh, out. No. And she's like, you, you might as well just take a gun and shoot somebody with it because that's what you've done. And, yeah, I'm a kid. I didn't know any better. I'm like, what? <laughs> but uh, that one, so that stuck with me. When I lived in Vegas um, several years ago, my daughter came out to visit and when she got ready to leave, she was packing her stuff up, and she put her hat on the bed. And I'm like, I didn't say anything, so I didn't want to scare. But I took it and moved it off the bed and put it on the with the rest of her baggage. And I thought, if her plane crashes now, I'll know what caused it. But she made it back okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad she made it back okay. But isn't that odd, though, because my grandmother's um, both sides shared different things. And I grew up just absolutely terrified that I was going to harm someone. I was going to be harmed. I was yeah. going to, you know, cause myself to, you know, my face get frozen like that 
<laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and it's they all the things. And... Yeah, I mean, it's all the things that they bring with them from their childhood, mm. and particularly with a grandmother who was possibly from Eastern Europe, the superstitions were rampant. The the Romanians, especially, because you know the Romanov gypsies, and there yeah. were so many legends, and then you throw in mountain people who yeah. are their very own culture, the especially well, any mountain, any rural area, but the Appalachian Mountains carry their own history of legend. And a lot of those people in that area too, uh, the Appalachians, they were originally from, uh, had Scotch-Irish ancestry. Yes, they did. So you've got all those Celtic uh, stories and religions, very, very big believers in the fey folk. Yes. And uh, the Fae were responsible for a lot of things. My grandmother believed in the Fae. Uh, there were certain things that you didn't do to, to, to that you didn't want to let fairies in the house or witches. Even though she called herself a witch, she would put garlic there's in the difference. keyholes to keep other witches from getting in. But there's a difference in a kitchen witch and yeah. uh, <laughs> practicing And one that's going to fly witch. through the keyhole. Uh, now, I want to ask you about this. You might have heard about it. It may just be a, a thing up in that area. But have you ever heard of a, a paint color called haint blue? It's everywhere. I showed a okay. friend of mine. Well, a, one of the girls that I used to investigate with wrote a book called haint blue. Mm-hmm. And it's about a house that she investigated that the whole house interior was painted in haint blue. And the woman yeah. that moved into it didn't know what it was. So she broke the seal where somebody had taped up the attic and she released all heck into her house but <laughs> one of my have been trapped up there one of my friends it was i mean it was horrid and it's a true story but um when i when i go to key west most of the people that go with me are from ohio and we bike around town and stuff so it was funny because i was talking about haint blue everything almost every porch in Key West is St. Blue. Yeah. And, well, the ceiling. And why don't you tell people what that's for? Well, now the way it was explained to me, you paint the, the, the underside of your porch, the underside of the roof, uh, the part that you stand under, you paint that haint blue. And it's a specific shade of blue. And that keeps spirits out of the house. They, they come up onto the porch and they see that and they think it's the sky and they get mm-hmm. confused. Yeah. And it, it keeps them from entering or from staying in the house. And they go out through the top of the porch, apparently. That's and just. Now, there may be more elaborate elaboration nope, on that. That's it. But... To me, that's it. Yeah. And, you know, it's really awesome because when um, when you go today to Lowe's, Home Depot, Sherman, Sherwin Williams, Wherever you get your paint, you just ask them for haint blue. Yeah. And they have <laughs> it waiting there for you to protect your home. Mm-hmm. And Cat Ward, it is, um, it is almost a very, very pale um, Waterford. Yeah, Not Waterford. It's kind of pastel... It's got a little ba- green baby to blue it. or sky blue almost. It's got, yeah, it's got a little different shade in there. I don't yeah. know how to make it, but I recognize it when I see it every time. 
and it's one of my favorite things. I think it's beautiful. And yeah, it's pretty color. And uh, it does also, make you feel calm. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, the, the porch had to be Hank blue. Like I said, she put garlic in the keyholes. Now that I've never heard of that anywhere other than my granny. You know, I knew garlic was supposed to keep vampires and things like that away. But, uh, according to her, it would keep witches from flying through the keyhole. And, um, anytime anybody that. died, they would cover <laughs> the mirror with a piece of black cloth. Absolutely. Any mirrors in the house had to be covered. And that was so poor old Uncle Ed didn't get trapped in the mirror and could go on to his reward. And, you know, and, I think that comes from, you know, the Jewish practice of sitting Shiva, mm-hmm. too, because their mirrors are covered. Yeah. During that. And yeah, that was that was a common thing back then, was sitting up with the dead. My, my grandfather uh, had to do that some when he was a kid, and he had, you know, humorous stories to tell about it the time they were a cat or something had gotten the room and had gotten up on the, the body and they were trying to shoo the cat away and ended up whacking the corpse in the face with a broom handle. Oh dear. <laughs> and he made his cousin who was sitting with him swear not to tell because they would have gotten treated well, yes. like that to a dead body. That's they'll come <laughs> you back. You just and don't do it. <laughs> but uh heard some other interesting stories like that from that had been passed on, like uh my mom's grandmother talked about when she was little i think they had an aunt that had passed away and they had her laid out in the house it was in the late summer early fall and uh whatever room they were had the body laid out in they had the window open and um the wind was blowing in and she said she observed that on the the lady's arm there that uh, she got uh goose flesh or uh goose pimples or whatever so she said, you know, I didn't think about it. I was just a kid and I wasn't going to say anything. Back then, kids, you know, you were seen and not heard uh, out of sight and out of mind. But she said, you know, as an adult, I realized later on that they probably buried that poor old woman alive, that she wasn't dead. She was just in a coma because, you know, a, a, a dead body doesn't get uh, goose pimples from a, a cold breeze. That's wild. And that that was another real fear back then was being buried alive. That's where it's the bells. <laughs> yep, the, the, the bell, the uh, the the term uh, midnight shift. That's where that came, or the graveyard shift. Mm-hmm. There were people that were paid to sit in the graveyard and listen for the bell, where they had the the wealthy people would have a a bell on a string. The, the string went down into the grave, into the coffin. And if they found themselves actually alive, they would, would ring the bell to signal somebody to get them out. And that's where the term dead ringer comes from. If yes. you were working the graveyard shift and you had a dead ringer, that means, <laughs> means you better get moving. Bell's going up. But I wondered if there had to have been pranksters back then. Can you imagine taking one of those little serving bells and going out to the graveyard where you knew somebody was sitting out there and, <laughs> and start ringing it? I know. Which which one's it coming from? I heard a bell. <laughs> and it didn't come from where I'm sitting by this grave. <laughs> They're all there. They're all there. You know, that would be freaky. Mm-hmm. I have um, where my grandparents are buried is a very ornate, very old um, cemetery here in Birmingham. Very well known. And my other set of grandparents is buried over 
close to where I live now. But it is wild because when I go to the older cemetery, I get lost in there. It's so huge and it's Mm -hmm. just beautiful and I usually wind up going into the office at the entrance and saying, can you please give me my grandparents' address again? (laughs) So, and they just love that. But, you know, it is something to get lost in a cemetery, especially one that has the history that theirs does. And some of the, some of the people buried there are just forever, forever families here. They've been here mm-hmm. since the get-go. And where my other grandparents are buried is up on a hill, and they're right across the mountain from my house. So that's just kind of like, you know, unexpected, because I didn't live here at the time that my grandfather died. Obviously, I was young. But it's weird that people wind up in some of the places they do. Mm-hmm. What do you think, because, well, I'm going to save this question until we come back because we're about to go to our break. But um, also when we get back, you want to share some of your stories from your number one bestseller? Sure. Because I got to tell you, I'm still at Mount Shasta. (laughs) So I haven't gotten into it yet. But we'll be right back after this with Steve Stockton, who does have a number one bestseller on his hands with his National Park Mysteries and Disappearances, the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And we'll be looking into that. So enjoy. We, You know how I, what I say about the news. I'm ever hopeful we're going to find a little bit of good there. So we will be right back with you. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Jack Spear. President Biden is set to have a call tomorrow with Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky on the topic of Russia's military buildup near its border with Ukraine. As NPR's Tamara Keith reports, the Biden administration has been urging restraint. Coming off a two-hour video call with Russia's President Putin that Biden described as straightforward, polite, but clear, Biden is now set to speak with Zelensky. Biden warned Putin there would be severe economic and other consequences if Russia were to invade Ukraine, as happened in Crimea in 2014. According to the White House, Biden and Zelensky will discuss Russia's military buildup. Then Biden will hold a call with the leaders of the Bucharest Nine, a group of NATO allies on the eastern flank of Europe that are within closest reach of Russia. The president is expected to, quote, underscore the United States' commitment to transatlantic security. Tamara Keith, NPR News. A milestone in terms of the number of people in the U.S. who have been vaccinated against COVID-19. The government says there are now 200 million fully vaccinated people in the U.S., though cases and hospitalizations are still rising in some spots. Where officials also note the situation is nowhere near as dire as last year's post-holiday surge before there was any access to vaccines. Still with only about 60 percent of the U.S. population vaccinated, health officials say it's not a high enough amount to prevent some COVID hotspots. The World Health Organization is calling on countries to redouble their efforts to contain the coronavirus as the Omicron variant spreads. More than 55 countries have identified the variant so far. 
Here's NPR's Will Stone. Scientists are racing to study the variant, but WHO leaders say countries must take action now, before Omicron has the chance to become a global crisis. That means ramping up surveillance and testing to see how it's spreading and increasing vaccination coverage and interventions like masking. WHO's Dr. Mike Ryan says the evidence indicates Omicron is more efficient at spreading than Delta. It means we have to get fitter and faster as the virus has got fitter and faster. The WHO is pushing back against travel bans that have been imposed against some African countries and says that the focus should not be on booster shots, but on getting more of the world's population vaccinated in the first place. Will Stone, NPR News. The heads of six major cryptocurrency companies, including Coinbase and Circle today, called on Congress to provide clearer rules in terms of the $3 trillion industry, but also warned that overly tough restrictions could push the emerging industry overseas. Hearing before the U.S. House Financial Services Committee, marking the first time senior industry leaders have explained businesses to U.S. lawmakers amid growing concerns over cryptocurrency and systemic risks they businesses may pose to investors. Stocks continue to gain ground today on Wall Street. The Dow up 35 points. The Nasdaq rose 100 points. This is NPR. Lawyers representing Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes have rested their case in her fraud trial, setting up several days of preparations before closing arguments are set to get underway. Holmes is accused of defrauding investors and patients by misleading them about the capabilities of her blood testing technology. Holmes testified in her own defense for a total of seven days. It's expected the case to go to the jury around the middle of the month. A British government adviser has resigned, and Prime Minister Boris Johnson is apologizing after it was revealed staff held a holiday party last year while such gatherings were banned. NPR's Frank Langford reports from London. Government adviser Allegra Stratton resigned in a tearful address outside her home. This follows leaked video, in which she joked at a mock press conference last December about the holiday party. British officials across the spectrum expressed fury with the Prime Minister, who apologized for the video and said he had ordered an investigation into the event. Opposition Labour leader Keir Starmer noted that while government staff were apparently celebrating, most citizens followed the rules which barred such gatherings. The episode reinforces a popular perception that there's one set of rules for Johnson's government and another one for everyone else. Frank Langford, NPR News. London. New York City police say a man is facing charges, including arson, for setting fire to a 50-foot Christmas tree in front of Fox News headquarters in midtown Manhattan. The artificial tree outside the News Corp building that houses Fox News, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Post caught fire shortly after midnight. No injuries were reported. A 49-year-old man was arrested on charges including criminal mischief, arson, and trespassing. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News in Washington. This message is brought to you by the NPR Coffee Club. A subscription brings fresh roasted coffee directly to your door, and you can also give a gift subscription to the NPR superfan in your life. Learn more about our new NPR blends by visiting us at nprcoffeeclub.org. Welcome back to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is five minutes after the hour. Good evening, Welcome back to Paranormal Experience with Kat Hobson, and I am so glad that you are here. We have been having the best time, and my guest tonight is Steve Stockton, who is absolutely so much fun. He is um, a YouTube personality. He is a podcaster. He is an author, 
and he covers stories that are pretty much near and dear to my heart with national parks. And we've been talking the first hour really about the National Park Mysteries and Disappearances, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, because I love there. And he did some fantastic work on sharing ghost stories and locations, the disappearances, the amazing number of plane crashes. Steve, that place had everything. <laughs> it did. I couldn't have picked a more exciting national park to, to grow up near. Well, what first drew your attention to to that? Why did you get so involved with the investigation of it? Or experiencing it, really? You didn't really go just for investigation. Yeah, well, my, we'd always go to the mountains for a couple of weeks in the summertime. Uh, one of my mom's brothers uh, had a restaurant up there, so we'd go up there and eat with him on occasion. But as, as you know, it was just one of those things and when I was a kid, that was one of the things we did in the summer was go to the Smokies. So I enjoyed going up there and discovering things that way. But as far as uh, the missing person side of it, that started in 1969 uh, with the disappearance of Dennis Martin. Um, Dennis, well, we were close in age. I was five going on six, and he was six going on seven. He disappeared Father's Day, 1969. He had gone up there with his uh, father, his grandfather, and his brother. And they had been to Cades Cove and then hiked up to Spence Field. It's not a real tough hike or anything, but it's it's a little strenuous. I've hiked up there many times. Um, and then while they're up there, they met another family who were also named the Martins. And uh, the two, Mr. Martins, uh, introduced themselves to one another and said, you know, well, maybe our kids can play together. And so Dennis and his brother and these other Martin kids who are of no relation uh, were playing either hide-and-seek or planning on uh, sneaking up behind the adults and, and scaring them, something like that. And uh, Dennis's dad observed him go behind a clump of bushes and thought, well, okay, there's there's Dennis's hiding place. The Dennis was the smallest one, and he was also wearing red. So uh, the other boys decided, you know, that Dennis should do his own thing so he wouldn't give their spot away. Well, a little bit later... The dad sees that you know all the other kids are back around around doesn't see Dennis anywhere, and he he asks the kids have you seen Dennis? And they're like no, not since we started the game. Well, his dad goes right back to this clump of, of brush there, uh, walks all the way around it, goes in it, no Dennis, and that was when he realized that you know Dennis was missing. That was the last time he would ever see him was when he walked around behind those bushes. Um, so uh, he sends his father, the grandfather, down to the ranger station to get some help, and then he takes off in a run down the Appalachian Trail, which goes just past there, looking for Dennis, yelled out his name and stuff. And, um, excuse me, I had to clear my throat. Um, and just shortly thereafter, within hours, a matter of hours, it launched uh, the biggest manhunt the Smokies had ever seen up to that period of time. There were park rangers, volunteers, um, even had the military in there at one point. There's, that was kind of odd that you had the Green Berets show up and, and search for them. Green Berets typically don't come out and help find a missing kid. No, they don't. Uh, the FBI got involved very early in the disappearance. Again, that was another thing that usually doesn't happen unless they suspect it's a homicide or some sort of criminal activity. So the FBI was involved. 
Um, just one of those things, everything seemed to stack up against poor little Dennis. Um, shortly after he went missing, there was a huge um, storm that moved in out of nowhere unexpectedly. Torrential rainfall further washed away any evidence. The tracking dogs couldn't find him. Um, no sign of him has ever been found. They, they thought there might have been one footprint, but uh, some of the um, people in there helping search was a Boy Scout troop, and they were wearing shoes similar to what Dennis had on, so that might not have even been his print. Oh, man. And it's been, uh, and I can't do the can't math in my head, but it's been over 50 years now. Never a trace of him. And um, that just, that was the first time in my little five, almost six-year-old mind that I discovered that, you know, bad things can happen to kids. You can disappear and never be found again. And I just, I remember pulling so hard for him. Um, I, at that time, Knoxville had uh, two newspapers, had the, the morning paper, which was mm -hmm. the Knoxville Journal, and the evening paper, the Knoxville News Sentinel. And somewhere, I think they're at my brother's house, I've got two scrapbooks full of clippings that I clipped out of the morning and the evening paper and the Oak Ridge paper, too, uh, about Dennis Martin. Just any news I could find, you know, just, but just never happened. You know, he was never found. And in my little head, you know, I thought, well, we go up to the Smokies a lot. It's not that far. Uh, it was only an hour or so away. Of course, that was by car. But I was thinking, you know, he could have wandered down here where we live. We lived out in the country and... Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, I got out on the country roads there, my little Schwinn Stingray, and, and looked for him. You know, it was one of those things. I even uh, left a candy bar and a, a little Debbie cake uh, out in the woods, thinking if he was out there, he might be lost and hungry. You know, this, when you're five years old, you don't think about uh, the nonsensicalness of that. But that one just really stuck with me. Well, for and, five um, years old, that was very compassionate and brave. Yeah. And... Um, Every year around the anniversary of the disappearance, they would uh, have his dad on. The local news would do a little segment. And just one of the saddest things I've ever seen. He passed away a few years ago on Halloween. But uh, one of those interviews, not too long before he passed, he was like, you know, he's like, I've always thought that one day I'd hear a knock at the door. And I'd go to the door and there'd be a, a nice looking man standing there. And he'd, Can I help you? And the man would say, Dad, it's me. It's Dennis. I've come oh. home and it just, it never happened, but he was just a terribly broken man. I mean, as you can imagine, I can't, Yeah, you know, it's, it's every not, parent's worst nightmare. Yeah. And not having any closure. He even said that if, if somebody took him and he was murdered or whatever, he said, just let me know. I just want to know what happened to my son. But, and uh, nobody ever did. No. Well, now there was a, a story about a, man who was in the park hunting ginseng illegally that I uh, found a skull that was child size and uh, he didn't want to get caught for ginseng hunting because that's a felony. You go to prison for that. You might as well rob a bank. Um, so he hid the uh, skull in a hollowed out tree and then went back at another time to, to retrieve it and it was gone, and then eventually he told his story. So they went back and they searched that area where he claimed to have found the skull, where he hid the skull, but um, nothing ever came of that, so they don't even know. You know, it could have been, any I guess, how many kid skulls are you going to find, but it could have been somebody other than Dennis. 
It could have been, you know, something from a long time ago. And he could have just been making it up. Who knows? But uh, the other thing, when the disappearance happened, uh, in another part of the park, there was a a family whose last name was Key. And they'd asked Mm -hmm. one of the rangers where they might be able to go and see some bear. And he had pointed to a general direction. And uh, this was while Dennis was in in the progress of disappearing. Uh, they heard a scream and looked up a hollow where they were standing there. And one of the kids like, dad, that there goes a bear right there. And, and the man looked, he's like, no, that's not a bear. He described it either as a very hairy man or a man wearing animal skins who was running up a hillside, carrying something red over his shoulder. There's oh been conjectures gosh. that maybe that was Dennis and um, whatever that was, whether it was a hairy man, a, People that there there are wild people that live in the park that aren't necessarily Bigfoot. Uh, Ranger Dwight yes. McCarter, who was the lead tracker and lead investigator on the Dennis case as National Park employee, he's talked about that. He says there are people that live off grid in the park. So now he didn't mention whether they're cannibals or not, but right. that's that's one of the theories that they took Dennis and either kept him or sadly ate him. Now there there is a guy on. Um, YouTube, don't know what his real name is, but his channel is South Force 10. And he claims that his relatives um, took part in hunts for these feral humans before the park was even the park, like back in the 20s and things that the the government knew about these people and uh, would occasionally have to go and thin them out because they were such a danger to the people that did live in the area. And according to him, that's one of the reasons it was designated as the area that they're designated as a national park was so that they could keep an eye on these uh, wild men that lived there. So it's, again, it's just, you know, speculation, but he seems to know what he's talking about. He's an older guy in his sixties, I think, but hadn't given his name, but he, he tells a lot of stories about the Smokies. And if what he's telling is the truth, then that kind of wraps up everything with a bow that would explain the FBI being in there. That would explain the Green Berets in there. And he claims that they went in, but they were too late to save Dennis, and they ended up just massacring a bunch of these feral people that lived in the hills. Well, you know, there's, um, it's not unheard of for there to be incidents with Sasquatch. I mean, they don't have to be humans, too, mm-hmm. where have a friend here in Alabama who is a, a Bigfoot researcher and he goes in the woods, he goes in the woods by himself, but he's very well protected. And I don't, you can still get snuck up on, I mean, you know, these things yeah. are indigenous, but he said that he was in the woods and he heard um, a man screaming and it was getting you know, farther away, they called the rangers, they let them know, you know, the location, the you know, coordinates, and all of the stuff, and the man eventually just stopped screaming, but, um, you know, it's not unheard of, if you're out in a, in a forest, to have something get you, mm-hmm. you know, it could be a cat, it could be anything, but it's still terrifying and it's going to hurt so yeah. the screams are 
kind of like when a bird gets caught by an egret or something. Yeah. Predators, predators strike fear. And I just can't imagine. I can't imagine being that dead and, you know, hearing that story. I would Mm -hmm. rather think somebody just took him to have him as their own. Yeah. Not to, not that he was terrified and screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible to think about. It is. But there's just, you start looking into the Cherokee legends, that's where it gets really creepy, too. They've got uh, Sulkalu, which I think I'm saying that right. I'm probably butchering it. No, I think you're right. But that was their version of Sasquatch that lived Mm -hmm. in the mountains. They talked about they even uh, warred with them at one time, but they they made peace and just kind of generally avoid each other. But uh, along the banks of the the Tuskegee or the Tucker, I can't remember the name of the, since it's Tuckasegee, or the, mm-hmm. one of those rivers up there, uh, they claim that uh, they found footprints there. The, the Cherokee did. That's how they discovered them. Really? And, and then you've got um, invisible spirits that the, the Cherokee talk about, the uh, Nunehi, or the Travelers. The Travelers, and, that kind and of the Watchers. In, yeah, that kind of fits in with the, the Glimmer Man or the uh, invisible almost invisible predator type creature that people yeah. have talked about seeing lately the uh humanoid that's you can see through it but you can still see the outline of it i don't really know how which is funky describe. in its own right but yeah and then, you, when you think about that you know like the movie predator mm-hmm. that you know they're maybe the green berets were in there looking for some kind of creature like that that they thought might have taken dennis well and, and you then, know there's the reports of the hidden military bases there maybe they were just in the region yeah supposedly there's stuff in the mountains there's somewhere there like underground near the entrance on the cherokee there. side mm-hmm. oh we and have then, to take uh, a break okay but we'll be right back y'all come back too you are listening to wbhm digital broadcasting birmingham Alabama. Oh, come on. I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. That'll do. Hello. I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHN Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. You are listening to WBHM, digital broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live, live, live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. 
Fate Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hops Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. You're listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting. The best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. This is Jason Bland, host of Midwest Paranormal Presents Paranormal Soup, where we stream live as a webcast every Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern, with guests who will blow your mind. Live ghost box sessions where you can call into the show to see if the spirits will talk to you. And the World Wide Web of Weird, with the latest in paranormal news and evidence. We're bringing the weird every Sunday night, 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern, on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Don't forget to follow and subscribe. Thank you for listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. The time is 23 minutes after the hour. Welcome back to Paranormal Experience with Kat Hobson and my guest, Steve Stockton. Steve, I am really enjoying this conversation. This is not something that is really my color Kool-Aid as far as the as far as going to the West Coast and stuff, I have been in Joshua Tree. And I have friends who have experienced Mount Shasta. But Cherokee, I know. I mean, you know, the Smoky Mountains, I know almost like the back of my hand as far as the easy access. Um, I haven't been deeper or very far on the Appalachian Trail since I got older. And had people that depended on me coming home. <laughs> yeah. But kids don't understand if you don't show up. But, um, you know, it's really, it's really odd because you're not the only researcher on this topic, but your information is different than just about, every, well, from everyone that I've read. You know, the we have a question in chat that considering what we were just talking about, timing is everything. But Sherry wants to know if there's time, can you talk about any extraterrestrial things that may have occurred to you or stories about that area? Um, yeah, I do both. Now, as far as extraterrestrial things that have occurred to me, there's only one real instance that stands out where I had missing time that I believe really? was something of that nature. And then there's other stories about the area stuff that I encountered down there. It's more cryptid and um, supernatural stuff. I don't think it's extraterrestrial. If you're talking about like aliens and that type of extraterrestrial stuff. But uh, the the missing time thing, that was interesting. I was in high school and uh, subdivision where I lived at the time, they were building it in three phases. Uh, the first phase was done. The second phase was the one we lived in, and it was only partially done. That already started on the third phase, which was way up behind where we lived. And the only thing that was up there at this point was paved roads. They'd already put the roads in and, like, the the water pipes and things like that were already installed. Other than that, it was just a bunch of empty lots. Right. Uh, still wooded. 
And a guy that lived up the street from me, I think he was a year younger than me. So I would have been like a junior or a senior in high school, and he was a grade below me. We were up there riding our bikes, and it's about 8 o'clock in the evening. And, you know, because it was perfect. It's freshly paved road. There was no cars, oh, no absolutely. traffic, nothing up there. So we're up there riding bikes, and uh, we're pedaling along. And the last thing I remember hearing was a noise off up in the woods to my right. And it, it sounded metallic. I don't, that's, that's, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like a clank, clanking noise. And then the next thing I know, we're still on our bikes. We're still moving, but we're going the other direction. I have no recall that's... of having turned around or anything. And then uh, we rode in silence back down the hill. He went into his driveway. I went on to my house, and we didn't say a word to one another at that time, which was kind of odd. And then when I got in, my parents were like, where you been? We were getting worried about you. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because when I had left, it was only like 7 or 8 o'clock. Well, it was after 11 o'clock. So oh, there was about heavens. three hours there that couldn't be accounted for. Now, again, I don't know. Were we abducted? Was there a time slip or some kind of glitch? I don't know, but I never, never had any nightmares or anything about it. I've never had any flashbacks. Um, I've never done a hypnotic regression or anything like that because there's a part of me that really don't want to know, you know, if, if I had a, an alien probe or something like that. But, um, well, no doubt. The, I mean, that's not Danny, something that you want to. Yeah. Danny, the other kid, I didn't mention it to him till much, much later. And he's like, He's like, I thought something happened to me. He said, he thought I, I thought I was losing my mind. He said, I didn't remember us uh, going the other direction. I don't. He said, I barely remember getting home. And he thought, he said, I thought I'd done something that you know that I had uh, blacked out or something. So it did happen to both of us. It was a shared experience, whatever it was. But uh, yeah, I've lost about three hours there. That's the only time I've ever had any real missing time. Now I've had a couple of other minor things that seemed like maybe a, a glitch in time or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. One day here in Portland, I was downtown and I just turned the corner uh, on the sidewalk, big bank building there. And just as I turned the corner to my left, the guy coming around the other side was turning the corner to his right. We passed each other right there at the corner and he was wearing like, 1800s era garb like a, a suit with a tall hat and a string tie and all this and just immediately when i passed him I, and he had this weird look on his face and i thought man what is that guy made up for are they filming something here commercial or right. you know, steampunk what's going on so i immediately just turned on my heel went right back around the corner i wanted to get a better look at this guy nobody there and there's traffic heavy traffic on the road between that and the other side of the the street and the side that he was going up it was all bank building for a block or two there there was only uh windows which were set up off the ground there was no doors on that side of the street i don't know what that was who he was what that was all about but he looked kind of startled or aghast like he was trying not to look at me right yeah <laughs> and i thought well it's probably because i was staring at him until i go back to look and he's not there so i'm wondering if Again, it's time slip. Maybe time slips happen. Sometimes, you know, 100 years ago, there was a guy walking in downtown Portland. He saw some guy with a weird getup on that passed him on the sidewalk. 
to wear an Iron Maiden t-shirt or something, you know, like, what was that? Well, you know, I just actually did an interview with Von Breschler, um, who wrote Time Slips. And we had a conversation about that. It's astounding how often people feel that they're experiencing those. Mm -hmm. And that's a strong possibility that that's what you experienced. So I'm always amazed when I get into those things because, you know, the, the whole reason I do what I do and probably the whole reason that you do what you do too is because I'm nosy and I want to learn these things. And I get a chance to talk with people like you who have experiences that I don't. And, um, you know, it's just really interesting, but if you ever want to read that book, it's Time Shifts, Experiences of Slipping into the Past and Future, and it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I'd so love to check that out. I'd you'd be validated. On, a, on my show as a guest one time that uh, had a time slip like that. She was going up the street, um, area where she lived in, kind of a rural, small town place, and there was a couple that had a Coke machine on their front porch. Mm-hmm up at one end of the block and it was, you know, to make a little extra change. Plus it was like the local meet and greet place. You know, if it was hot, you'd go up and uh, buy a Coke out of their Coke machine and sit on the porch and, and talk. Well, she's going up there. Uh, he's a dime or 15 cents or something. So it tells you how long ago it's been to get a Coke. And um, she was going up the sidewalk toward this place. And she sees a, a man standing in a vacant lot and uh, she, said she wasn't paying him a lot of attention, but he looked at her and said, nice day, isn't, and before he could say, isn't it, he was just gone. Oh, my. And she, like, looked like, you know, what was that all about? <laughs> but then she, what she mainly noticed was that vacant lot. She's like, you know, that'd be a great place to, to play ball or something. Why have we never played here before? So she goes on up the street, gets her Coke out of the machine. She's walking back home, and she gets to where this vacant lot was. And she said, it's just a straight walk there and back. There is no vacant lot. There's houses there. And she said, and I knew in my mind immediately that, yeah, those houses have been there the whole time. There's never been a vacant lot there as long as I've lived here. Right. Or she'd have been and playing even on it. she was a kid. Yeah. And she thinks that, that she went through some kind of portal or time slip or something that the way she described it was like if you have two uh, sheets of um, silk mm -hmm. stretched tight. Mm -hmm. And they get close enough to where you can kind of see through both of them at the same time. And then sometimes maybe they touch and they're both showing the same thing at the same time. And then when they part, it, it separates again. But she said probably somewhere there was a man who said hi to a little girl that disappeared. Yeah. Well, On that his vacant lot. Fascinating tale. This lady was probably in her 70s or something. Just as sincere as she could be. I mean, I believe every word she said. She wouldn't have had any reason to make up such a tale. Well, haven't you had moments like that? I mean, you just described one. And I think that that's not a, um unusual thing. I think that if you talk to someone, you'll find that if you bring it up, they'll have one to share. Mm -hmm. And that's why I love paranormal anomalous research because there's so much of it that's, that's fairly universal. It's been experienced for generations. You'll find writings on it. You know, 
10 to 50 to 100 years from now, people are going to find the books that you've written about these parks and go, that's what happened to me, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah, you're providing so. future researchers with information. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. Well, that was one of the reasons behind the book. I had kind of an epiphany at my grandmother's funeral, the, the Gypsy Witch. Mm -hmm. um, I was just, I was standing there looking at her in her coffin. That was the most still I'd ever seen her, of course, because she was deceased. But I'd never seen her when she wasn't cooking. She wasn't gathering eggs. She wasn't doing something. And here she was just as still and tiny. And I, I thought of every story that she ever told me, every legend, every superstition, every you know, a haint and booger tale that she knew of from the Smokies and beyond. And I thought, you know, that all, it dies right there with her. When they put her in the ground, they're putting those stories in there with in the ground with her. And I thought, you know, no, I'm going to write these down. And so if nothing else, I'll remember them. And then, you know, later on, if I can pass that on and uh, other people can remember them. And then that's where we're at now. Like these, uh, the books, there are digital versions out there which literally can last forever. And then I've talked about them on shows like this. I've recorded uh, like audio versions of them on my mm -hmm. one of my YouTube channels. So technically, they're out there now. They're out there forever. And what I really enjoy about that, I've inspired other people to do the same thing. I could mention at least three or four other people that read my books. And they said, you know, you made me want to do that, too, because I heard all these old stories mm -hmm. and stuff. And specifically my first book, I think every single person yes. in there with the exception of maybe a cousin or two have passed on years and years ago. So through telling stories and, and that's just, there's such a great tradition, especially in the South of the, the oral storytelling, you know, that's just, uh, in fact, Jonesboro, Tennessee, historic Jonesboro, Tennessee is the way they like you to say yes. it. They have the, <clears throat> excuse me, international storytelling center there. And they have a convention every year in October. Best storytellers from around the country and around the globe meet there and, and tell stories, you know. And that's just, I've never participated in it, but I've been to it lots of times. And it's just, it's fascinating, you know, to because you hear a lot of similar stories, just but from different parts of the country. Yes. Um, everywhere seems to have their own little special take on stuff like the Crybaby Bridge. You can't go through a little community in the South, particularly, that doesn't have at least one crybaby bridge, if not at two least. or three. Yes. <laughs> well, and the the um, the hill, Gravity Hill. Yeah, got those. Yeah, Gravity Hills, crybaby crybaby bridge. You've generally got a street that people disappear down. Then you have the haunted hitchhikers around every corner, and. You know, I I personally know someone that I trust implicitly that experienced that driving between Vegas and L.A. Mm -hmm. And, you know, was paying attention. And when he got up close to the person, they turned around and their face was a blank. Wow. I mean, just, you know, looked like a, you know, the body structure still looked human, but there was no face. And did not That's stop. That's creepy. Did that not stop. That is so stop. creepy. Yeah, I know. I would have, I would have just been off in the desert somewhere, <laughs> maybe upside down. Every hitchhiker of Route six six six. There, there really was at a time a highway mm -hmm. that was uh, U.S. Route six six six. It was yeah. out through the the Four Corners area in the Southwest, 
and uh, heard this story from the guy that it happened to. Um, he was driving from, um, I think he'd been, he was going to school in, I want to say, Colorado, and was driving back to his parents in Utah. And the route that he chose to take was on that old Route 666. And he kept passing the same hitchhiker. Mm-hmm. Like he saw the guy hitching and he said, the first time, you know, the guy looked a little strange, but he's like, I'm lonely, but I'm not going to stop for a hitchhiker, not out here. Nope. And then like an hour or so later down the road, sees the same hitchhiker and the guy looks even stranger. looks like he's gotten hairier or something. And oh, this went on. The last time he saw the guy, he was like, like a, a dog man or something and was actually chasing after his car. Get out of uh, town. He he contacted a friend of his back at school that he knew was native. And he said, yeah, I said, it's a skinwalker, man. said, whatever you do, Do don't get out, don't stop, don't get out of the car. Um, He said, you'll be okay by by daybreak. It'll have to give up by then. But, uh, yeah, after that, he he took a different route back to Utah. But uh, that that whole area is cursed. You've got the, the, the Navajo Mm-hmm. And the, the Utes and the Sleeping Utes and the uh, Hopi. And at one time, I think all those were at war with each other. And you have these medicine men, these shaman that were casting spells and doing this, doing that. Right in the middle of that area, that's where Skinwalker Ranch is, where they yes, see stuff like that all the time. So I think there's something to all these curses and all these things. It's sympathetic magic to sort that only works if you believe in it. But I think that by people that do believe in it that there's an energy or something that you create like a tulpa you can create a yes. life form out of something and even in the cherokee some of the stuff i talked about i've been admonished by the elders for even talking about it yes or even thinking about it they say don't you know that when you do that you give it power you, give it life. You, you call it forth you can bring it right to you by talking about it or even thinking about it so be careful so i try to be careful well and you know people don't really understand the power of the spoken word yeah it's it's real yeah so you know we only have like three minutes before we go to another break but i had a question for you Uh when you moved into the area where you are now um were you aware of the history and power of like mount shasta and I know that's down farther than, you know, farther south than you, but uh, I've I heard so much about that place. Yeah, I knew of it. I'd been there before, and I had to drive right by there when I moved here from uh, Las Vegas. In fact, I spent the night in uh, Susanville, California, which is just a little way below uh, Mount Shasta there, which is just before you get to the California-Oregon border. And when I came through there, there was about three or four feet of snow on either side of the car. I just happened to get behind the snow plow. But um, Shasta is just one of those places that I was talking about where you can feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think, the more sensitive you are to things like that, the more you will feel it. But there's just so many stories there from the Lemurians to the all these ascended masters, uh, Count St. Mm-hmm. Germain, supposedly walking around up there. You've got Bigfoot, you've got UFOs, you've got uh, so many different stories. And then in the little towns there at the foot of it, the, the, the city of Shasta, the town of Shasta, and nearby Weed, California, there's 
an off feeling there too. Now, of course, you have all these new age shops and reading rooms, and but there's there's something there. There's a, an energy. There's a portal or something near there. It's not too far from the Oregon vortex, which is also not too far from Crater Lake, which has been a lot of weird goings on there, a lot of unexplained disappearances, and then Shasta. It's almost like a ley line or something. You could draw a line between Mount Shasta and um, Crater Lake and the Oregon Vortex and basically just go on up I-5 there and go through all kinds of weird places. But um, one of the, the strangest Bigfoot reports I've ever heard was on Mount Shasta back in the 60s. A lady claimed that she observed a female Sasquatch giving birth on uh, one of the slopes of Mount Shasta there. And then another lady, almost a year to the day later, uh, observed a female Bigfoot nursing a baby Bigfoot under a tree on Mount Shasta in the same area. So that, you know, kind of makes sense. It was born the year before, and then she saw it still being nursed a year later, another lady. Well, we have another question in chat, and we're going to get to that when we get back from this break. I am so enjoying you, Steve. Thank you so much for being here. I can't Fun. wait for this next segment. But okay. for everyone listening, we'll be right back. Y'all come back to you. You're listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experience Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, come on. I'm Southern, but... Um, nope. That'll do. Hello. I am Kat Hobson, host of Paranormal Experience here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting out of Birmingham, Alabama. I enjoy having guests from all areas of the paranormal, from ghosts to ufology to cryptids and beyond. You'll find some of the best researchers in their fields bringing you some great information. Join me on Wednesday nights from 8 to 10 p. Eastern here on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Since 1948, Fate Magazine has brought you reports of the strange and unknown, all of them true. Fate Radio is carrying on that tradition, bringing you the unusual, macabre, strange, and bizarre. Join host Cat Hobson Sunday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on WBHM Digital Broadcasting. Listening to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, the best in paranormal talk, only on Paranormal Experienced Radio, broadcasting live out of Birmingham, Alabama. Welcome back to Paranormal Experienced with Kat Hobson. I'm so glad you're here because this has been a great show. My guest is Steve Stockton, and we have questions. This is our final segment, so if you have questions and you're not in chat, you're going to have to get there. You can actually message me on Facebook if you have some. I will go here in a minute and check that. But for right now, 
Steve, we've got a great question from Sherry here. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. And now you've shared a lot of stuff already. And <laughs> I am. But the Skinwalker got me because I truly believe in them. Um, yeah. What was the scariest thing that ever happened to you if you haven't already told that story? And she says you've had so many good stories tonight. Oh, well, well, thank you, Sherry. And Sherry, if you're on Facebook, send me a friend request and I'll tell you some stuff that I, I won't be able to tell here just because of the time limitations. Yeah. Oh, I want copied on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The scariest thing that ever happened to me, uh, by far, it was uh, an encounter I had with the Black Eyed Kids back in the mid to late 1990s. Um, it takes about 20 minutes to tell the whole story, so I won't have time here tonight. But I have a, a version on YouTube that uh, where I had uh, a friend of mine in the UK interviewed me, and she just sat there and let me tell the story. And every time I tell it, I just I relive it. I mean, my my hands sweat. You can tell it in my voice, and it's almost like a PTSD type thing. But uh, a quick version of it, I was. Uh, working for a medical management company doing a computer network administration. We were main office and we had 35 remote sites. There were doctor's offices that we managed for them. Uh, the idea being that we managed the practice and freed up the time, the doctor's time to practice medicine. And while I was doing all this, I was uh, moonlighting as a network technician for hire. Well, up the road, there was a, a place, a, a comprehensive breast center, that was moving all their users over from a dumb terminal to an actual computer at each person's desk. So I'm in there in the evenings uh, setting up their network. And uh, I would go in after they were closed and after I got off from either gig around five or six o'clock and sometimes work till midnight, two or three o'clock in the morning, just trying to get it done, but kind of taking my time too, because they were paying me a hundred dollars an hour and that was good money, you know, back in the 90s. That, that's good money now. That's good money but, now, uh, I was going to say. I wasn't, wasn't getting too much of a hurry. But uh, one night I was coming out of there about 2 o'clock in the morning. And this is an industrial area in Knoxville. There was, weren't any houses or anything down there. There were other medical places and office buildings and things. But uh kind of place that, you know, it shut down after business hours. There was nothing out there. Well, I come out and set us around 2 a.m., I was driving a little Mazda Miata at the time, and I was trying to fit all this stuff in my truck. I had a spool of uh, Cat5 cable and different stuff that I used in my trade there. Well, when I came out, I noticed that there were these two kids sitting over the edge of the parking lot, about you know, 30, 40 yards away. It's a big parking lot. And um, so again, I'm trying to jam my stuff in the car. It's almost like... Uh, playing Tetris, trying to fit this in the trunk of a Miata. Yeah, I understand this that. Trunk on one of those is not much bigger than a glove box on some cars. And then uh, I look at them again. I'm, I'm wondering, what are these kids doing out here? It's like 2 o'clock in the morning. There's not any houses or anything around here. Well, I, I glance over again, and they've stood up, and I can see that now one of them's taller than the other. I'm guessing they're probably... The taller one may be around 12, the, the shorter one 9, 10 years old. And uh, they were, appeared to be female. Uh, they were wearing very simple clothing, uh, dark, almost gray colored pants, a dark hoodie, black hoodie. And I, I never saw them move or walk, but every time I looked up, they would be a little closer to me. 
And finally they got up and I'm, you know, I'm getting kind of the heebie jeebies at this point. Well, finally they got up under the streetlight that was nearest me there in the parking lot. And I could see that they had no eyes or that their eyes were black. I mean, just like an inky black, like holes where their eyes should have been. Yeah. And by this time, the, the taller, which I'm assuming was the older of the two, they might have been the same age, but the the taller of the two started speaking. And it was just, it was almost like a litany over and over and over. She was saying, he'll let us in. He'll let us go for a ride. He'll let us in his car. He won't leave us out here. It's dark. It's cold. You know, we're all alone. Just the same thing over and over and over and over. And, and I'm thinking, mm, 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 I'm not giving you a ride in my car. No Number doubt. one, it was two-seater. And number two, I'm not going to be out tooling around with two underage girls in a two-seater car when there's three people in there. You know, you're just asking for trouble with the cops. I didn't know them, didn't know who they were. Just bad business. And they had no eyes. (laughs) (laughs) And they had, uh, excuse me, looked like uh, lumps of coal for eyes. And uh, they kept getting closer. By this time, I've got everything in there. I slammed the trunk. And I was so just off my game at this point. Um, I, for whatever reason, I'd left the top down, but I'd locked the doors. Mm-hmm. And I, I was fumbling with having these little billet-style door handles. I was fumbling trying to get that open, and I just jumped in the car finally, jumped over the door into the car, fumbled my keys. And by the time I finally got the car started, they were r- literally right up at the edge of the car. I mean, they could have gotten in. Uh, the, the smaller one still hasn't not said with a that word. Permission. The taller one is still, he'll give us a ride. He won't leave us out here. He won't mm-hmm. leave us stranded. Just the same thing over and over and over and over. Well, finally, you know, the, the car doesn't want to turn over. Then finally it kicks to life. And I mean, I absolutely zoomed out of there. I didn't back up. I jumped the curb, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, went down through the grass to the lawn of the place and out onto the road that way. And, um, just as fast as I could go. And a girl I was dating at the time, she only lived a couple of miles from here. A lot of times if I had to work real late on this moonlight job, I would go spend the night at her house so I could get to my real job the next morning. Well, that night it didn't even occur to me. When I got out to the road, turned right to go to her house, and said I turned left and drove all the way to my parents' house in Oak Ridge, which is a good not 20, 25 miles away or something no like doubt. that. And um, all the way down there, there's a, four-lane highway there it runs from Oak Ridge all the way into Knoxville called Pellissippi Parkway and uh, takes to the airport in the Knoxville airport if you go one way or into downtown with the other and all the way down Pellissippi Parkway I'm doing like 100 miles an hour in this little car it absolutely purred at high speeds and um, I kept looking in my rearview mirror and like even over my shoulder behind the car and um, wasn't worried about the police um, they would have been welcome probably at that point. Although I would have sounded like a lunatic, I'm sure. Probably get taken in on a 72-hour uh, psych hold. But um, for whatever reason, I'm thinking the little girls are going to be right behind me or hanging on to the spoiler in the back of the car or run along beside the car. I'd even like continuously look over into the seat, see if they'd gotten in, and I didn't know it. And just the ridiculousness of this fear that I felt. Excuse me, I'm going to have to get a drink or something here. My throat's getting dry. 
But um, that was the thing that, that bothered me, just these waves of just unbridled fear that made absolutely no sense. I mean, it wasn't even a fight or flight type thing. It was just pure flight. Gosh. I get to my parents' house, and instead of parking in the driveway, I drove all the way around behind the house and parked in the backyard under a tree. And then once I get inside, they're, they're long asleep. I didn't even wake them up getting in. The, the rest of the night, I'm like peeking out the windows or going into the kitchen and looking out the kitchen door. I kept expecting these little girls to show up and uh, did that till daylight. And then I, I called in at my other job and took the day off. Wow. But that's that's absolutely the most scared I've ever been. And it was just such an inexplicable fear. I mean, I was afraid of two little girls that, you know, how silly that sounds. But they weren't two little girls. They were two little black eyed kids that there was yeah. a, a, some sort of energy there. It felt demonic. It felt evil. And looking back and this didn't occur to me until just recently, uh, somebody else told my story. And that was the first time I'd ever heard somebody else tell it. And for the first time ever. I felt something other than fear and contempt for those little girls. I actually felt pity and remorse because I don't think it was them. It was whatever was controlling them or if they even existed. I mean, it may be one of these things like if you've read uh, Whitley Strieber's account yes, when I he have. had alien stuff, he, he remembered owls. But then under hypnosis, it wasn't owls at all. It was grays mm -hmm. and either an image they were putting there or um, something his mind had done just to comprehend what it, because it couldn't comprehend what it was seeing. So, in fact, I don't know what it was, but it, it appeared as two little girls with black eyes. But just the, the evil energy that I felt rolling off of it, that was the scary part. Well, that would terrify anyone. Yeah, and, you know, the, the I didn't tell that story for a long time, and I don't think I'll ever write it down because I just... I can't convey the emotion. Like you can probably hear me now. I get all nervous well, and worked up when I'm talking about it. Well, you but, are. And I wouldn't write that down either because I would be concerned about manifestation. Yeah. Well, I was just getting to that. First time I ever told it was on the old Art Bell show. Um, Art was out sick and Heather Wade, his producer, was uh, covered for him that night. And uh, Heather and I are friends, you know, in real life. Mm -hmm. And she kind of goaded me into telling it on air because I said I'd never tell it. And she kind of goaded me into it. And I told it on his show, which is pretty cool. Even though he was sick, he called in during one of the breaks <laughs> to tell Heather what a good job she was doing and how much she enjoyed my Black Eyed Kids story. Awesome. So it was worth what happened after. But that night after I got off his show, um, at the house I was living in at the time, I had proximity detectors. I had a security gate. I had security cameras. I had all kinds of bells and whistles and alarms. I knew if anybody was even near the house well, about five o'clock in the morning, I hear a scream that sounded like it started out on the front porch, came into the house, all the way through the house, out the back, had a screened in back porch, out the back of the porch and into the yard before it stopped. And I jumped up out of bed and I'm wide awake and I'm still hearing the scream. You know, at this point, it hadn't gotten oh all gosh. the way out of the house. And uh, well, there'd been a loud knock at the door. I left that part out. There was a loud knock and then the scream, the scream was what got me out of bed. And uh, I, my daughter was living with me at the time, and I ran to her bedroom and flung the door open. And I'm like, are you okay? And she's sound asleep. She's like, yeah, why? I'm like, you didn't hear that pounding and that screaming? 
And she said, no, but I told you, don't talk about those damn black-eyed kids. And then she went back to sleep. <laughs> but And there's been other times when, after I've talked about it, something weird would happen. Um, I've had computers go out. I've had uh, electrical malfunctions. I've had two or three paintings that fell off the wall all at the same time. And, um, you know, just weird stuff like that after I've told that story. So we'll see. And if any of your listeners experience anything, then I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I told it on another show one time, and a lady had a, a glass bowl full of wax fruit on her coffee table. She said it exploded into a million pieces while you were telling that black-eyed kid story. Wow. That would be <laughs> Just creepy. Exploded. Now, the other two, I won't have time to get to them, but there was, uh, if you go to my one of my YouTube channels, I've got two, uh, The 13 Past Midnight on there, it's called uh, The Thing in the Ditch. Uh, that scared me when I was eight. And again, at 15, there was something came up out of a ditch that I couldn't see, but was running after me. And uh, I could tell the effects it was having. I could see leaves being kicked up. I could see branches being knocked out of the way, but I actually saw nothing. Uh, happened when I was eight, scared the life out of me. Happened again when I was 15. I went back up there to see if it was still there, and it was. And then much later on, I was at a party and um, found out through a Ouija board, of all things, what it was. You'll have to listen to the video, though, to get the answer. Well, Third thing. You know I'm going to. Went home with a friend from school, and we encountered what I believe now is some type of skinwalker or something like that. It, it looked like a bear horse skull, except it had eyeballs. Instead of on the sides of its head, where horses normally are, it's on the front of its head, just eyeballs. And uh, it appeared to be wearing some kind of black hood or cloak or something. And uh, we were in a shell pit, and we heard, like, this weird huffing, growling noise. Looked up. This thing's peering out of this dilapidated old shed down at us in the shell pit. We ran screaming back to the house. His dad, who was full Cherokee, uh, got tired of listening to us yammer. He went back down there with a shotgun. And we kept, you know, waiting. We'd hear, think we are going to hear screams and shots and he came back up in a few minutes with the, the gun over his shoulder and uh, just a weird look on his face. He wouldn't say a word about it, but he said, uh, I don't want you boys going back down there anymore. And he said, in fact, I want you to swear to me that you won't go down that around that old shack or the shell pit anymore. And I didn't have any problems swearing that, and I never went back to this day. But a couple of weeks later, my friend came up to me in school and said, my dad went down there and pulled that uh, shack down into the shell pit and burned it. Wow. So he knew what it was. And I think being Cherokee, he recognized it might have been something that was after him even. But that's the three uh, times that I've been most scared. Now, the uh, Black Eyed Kids, longer version of that, I have played that on 13 Class Midnight. I've got about a 20, 25-minute version. It has a lot more detail. So now come and saying, check. You're saying 13 Past like yeah. past him, 13 yeah. past midnight on YouTube. Yeah, like like what 13 is your, minutes after midnight, but 13 past midnight. What is your other channel? The other channel, that's the big one. That's uh, Missing Persons and Mysteries. I think we're, we're right at 130,000 subscribers, maybe a little bit over that now. And that's, we delve into, like the name says, missing person cases, but usually the ones that have a strange or supernatural element right. to them. And then the mysteries side of the channel, we cover a lot of other stuff, too. Uh, I've talked about Bohemian Grove. I've talked about uh, the Denver International Airport, weird goings on there. 
we have a lot of fun over there. But the main thing is the, the, the focus will always be on missing persons cases. Figure if we can bring one person home or get closure for one family, then it's all been worth it. Absolutely. I've got, I have psychic friends that participate in the group that does that. And it's all about closure. Yeah. For some of the families, it, it really is. And if they come home either way, they still have their child back or their their family member back. So, yeah. well, I've got to say thank you so much for being here with me. I have enjoyed every minute of our conversation. <laughs> and, and I have as well. I can't tell I love to talk. Well, can't tell I love to listen. <laughs> I love this stuff. And... Yeah, your books are so good. They're so well written. Find them on Amazon, guys. And, you know, it's, um, I will say that your newest book, uh, National Park Mysteries and Disappearances, The Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho, is number one on his genre. It's, um, it is uh, absolutely amazing. And his co-author is Bill Melder. So, and this is book three of this series. Read all of them. And I started with Cherokee because it's the first one. Cherokee. The Great Smoky Mountains National Park. But that was special to me. So I'm I'm reading them in order. I am... Actually, I'm probably going to finish up the second one and start this one tonight. So I have had so much fun with you. And we are going to do this again. I can't wait. I've got so many more stories I wanted to tell. I wanted to get into Mount Shasta more. And um, Joshua Tree, you said you'd like to go to Joshua Tree. I love Joshua Tree. I've got something planned that I want to do out there uh, probably a little bit later on uh, into the new year. Uh, Have you ever stayed at the Joshua Tree Inn? I have not. When I started going to Contact in the Desert, it was the year that they moved it to um, the resort. Yeah. And I missed it. And actually, um, a friend that I met there said, oh, it's fine. You can wear open-toed shoes and not worry about the scorpions. So enjoy this. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, yes, ma'am. But I love uh, everything about about that. I actually had a oh, flat just, tire. There's the so la- many legends and stuff there. And uh, Bill Melder, he's the, my partner over on the channel. Mm-hmm. There, uh, he was lost in Joshua Tree for five days. Oh my and gosh! Had some really strange experiences. Now that's in uh, that's in that book in the, in the Joshua Tree chapter. Well, His I'm stories in there. That. I'm gonna go through that, and I, we're gonna have to go. I hate going. This is so much fun. But we will reschedule soon, everybody, to get into some more of Steve's stories. And um, thank you all for listening. You know, yeah, thank you so much. I put links in the, the chat there I on Spreaker. That. I don't know if it let me do that or not. It, it did. Okay. That's that's my two YouTube channels. Now, on 13 Past Midnight, I do ghost stories at midnight. Uh, that's every night at midnight Eastern. Oh, I go cool. live, and uh, my co-host and I, um, Nine Lives of Sandy, we talk. We have a monologue for about an hour or two, talk with the chat, and then I play pre-recorded uh, ghost stories from the Victorian era. After oh, that, like so too fun. I love yep. that stuff. So and Sherry has just subscribed to both, and I'm right behind her. Okay, but, awesome. Thank you, ladies, and everybody listening. All my friends in Birmingham. Uh, good to be back on here again. I look forward to the next time. Me too.
And for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed it nearly as much as I have because it's been great. And I do want to leave you. I know we're a little behind, but I don't care because if you're having a tough time and a lot of people are, um, you know, fix it. We have that power. We can manifest change through our, our attitude, through our words. We were talking about the spoken word having so much power, but you know, be the change you want to see. It sounds impossible sometimes, and it's not. You do have that power. Be the friend that you wish that you had. You'll find that. Be the spouse that you want. Be be the human that you want to put out in the world. And just take ownership of that and challenge yourself and smile. Even if you're in a mask, your eyes, your eyes are the windows to the soul. People will know your heart. And if you don't believe that, try watching other people's eyes for a while. You'll be great at understanding what I'm saying. So have a great week. And we'll see you next week. Same cat time, same cat channel. Good night. to WBHM Digital Broadcasting, Birmingham, Alabama. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.